Take your seats, buckle your seatbelts. I hope you've had your coffee. <laughs> Are you ready? You think you're ready. You know, our normal routine Sunday after Sunday is to go through the Bible book by book, passage after passage, seeking to understand God's word and to let it shape our hearts and our living, to have it impact us. That's the whole point. And, you know, rather than letting any person or program or curriculum choose our topics, we look to God's word to set the agenda and to dictate our focus. And I found that this is the best way to make sure that we are hearing what the Lord wants us to hear and that we are learning what it is that he wants us to learn. That said... From time to time, the Spirit of God impresses on my heart uh, the need to address a certain topic or a specific passage of Scripture, and that's where we're at this morning. So this morning, as we open God's Word, instead of being in 1 Samuel, as we have been and as we will uh, return to next week, we will be looking at a couple of passages that remind us how it is that the Lord wants us to be living our lives in the midst of a world that has gone stark, raving mad. I don't think it's possible that someone could wonder what it is that I'm talking about, but just in case... Let me give you a not quite as quick as I thought it would be summary of the state of things. And if you are prone to anxiety, you should probably take a moment right now to remind yourself that even in times like this, God is on the throne. If you follow the news at all, then you already know that crime is running rampant, that drugs are destroying our communities, that human trafficking is everywhere, that corruption and scams abound, homelessness is epidemic, open hostility has replaced common civility, and overwhelming desperation is pushing people over the edge left and right. And that's just the local news. <laughs> We now live in the, the sort of world that Jesus warned us would come. In Matthew chapter 24 and verses 4 through 8, Jesus tells his disciples what it is that they should expect in their lives and in the future. He says, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. You are going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. Because these things must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And these events are the beginning of labor pains. Wars and rumors of wars. It's a daily reality in our world, isn't it? Uh, Russia's horrifically brutal invasion of Ukraine has brought death to untold numbers, both of soldiers and civilians. It has utterly destroyed the lives of 40 million Ukrainians. It's made vast regions of that country utterly uninhabitable. Secondarily, it has cost the Western world billions of dollars and at the same time has depleted our reserve supplies of weaponry and ammunition, which is emboldening other bad actors. China, seemingly unimpressed with the world's response to Russia, appears to be moving closer and closer by the day to invading Taiwan. 
and China's military keeps growing and advancing. Uh, recently, they tested a new hypersonic vessel. Uh, some of you are thinking, no, that was Russia. Yes, Russia did that, and now China has done it as well, uh, leaving the United States as the only so-called superpower without such a weapon. Then there's North Korea, unhinged and complete, constantly developing and testing missiles of greater and greater reach and payload capacity. Uh, do you know that they've recently become able to deliver a nuclear bomb to absolutely anywhere in the United States. Yeah, that, that's a comforting thought. And meanwhile, in Israel, uh, they are engulfed in more internal strife than ever before. Politically, they are so deeply divided that it has begun to impact their national security. And in the midst of this unprecedented political turmoil, they're also experiencing more terror attacks than they have for decades. And in the midst of all that, Israel's allies are distancing themselves while their enemies are making new and rather troubling alliances. And let's not forget Iran. Iran training, funding, and arming terrorists all around the region, uh, many of whom are attacking Israel from all sides, from Syria, from Gaza, from Lebanon. And remember, Iran is very close to developing a nuclear bomb. I don't know if you saw the news this weekend, but Sudan just had a military coup. Guess who is likely behind that? Yeah, Iran. There are active wars today in Myanmar, Ukraine, and Ethiopia, all of which have far greater than 10,000 casualties per year. There are also smaller armed conflicts continuing in continuing in Colombia, Afghanistan, Somalia, the Dem uh, Democratic Republic of Congo, Nigeria, Burkina Faso, Iraq, Sudan, Mexico, South Sudan, Syria, Mali, Yemen, and 38 other places. Wars and rumors of war are tragically common. Jesus mentioned famine. Uh, certainly not here, but famine, too, is a normal part of our world today. About 49 million people in 46 different countries around the world are experiencing uh, what we call critical hunger. This, this is not just, gosh, I'm hungry and I could probably drop a few pounds and it'd be okay. But this is life-threatening hunger, severe levels of food insecurity and malnutrition. Places like South Sudan, Afghanistan, Somalia, Yemen, Ethiopia are in desperate crisis. And Jesus said there would be earthquakes, and earthquakes abound. You know, seismologists say that since about the 1900s, every year there have been uh, around 16 earthquakes of 7.0 magnitude or greater as well as many, many smaller ones, uh, usually around 55 a day. And just this week, I don't know if you saw this, just this week it was reported that experts are on high alert for a mega earthquake, 9.0 or greater. Guess what? Just off the west coast of the United States. Yeah, that, that's, that's comforting. The world is gone mad. But it's not just war and famine and earthquake. It's morality, too. 
Morally, our world has come untethered and once detached from God's moral law. Just logically, there is no limit to the depravity into which our culture will eventually drift. In Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, the prophet Isaiah gives us this clear warning. He says, woe to you or look out to those who call evil good and good evil. And yet here we are. Things that you would think are obviously and clearly very bad are being defended as if they were very good things. Adult men dress up like female prostitutes in order to read stories to little children. And an unbelievably large number of people think this is good. Our, citizen, our cities are overrun with people who are drug addicted and homeless. And the proposed solution is to legalize more and more drugs and to facilitate drug use and to remove police and to stop prosecuting crime. That'll help. And now female athletes are being pushed off the winner's podium by men and boys who no longer want to compete against other men and boys. And college students riot and assault guest speakers they disagree with and they call it free speech. And then they are praised by their university administrators. You know, we don't have time, nor would it help. I, I feel our, our collective blood pressure rising by the moment. It wouldn't help to talk about all of it. Abortion, pornography, sexual perversity, <laughs> hatred, rage. Everything that scripture clearly presents as evil, this world embraces as good. And that is exactly what scripture tells us life will be like in this world. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, Paul warns Timothy that he should expect, he should expect that hard times will come in the last days. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, <coughs> brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness but denying its power. And then Paul says as if he didn't, as if he needed to add this, you should probably avoid these people. <laughs> this is not a good crowd to hang out with. Now, I wish that we could say, wow, that must have been awful for them. I can't imagine living in a world like that. And yet, that is exactly what we see all around us. Honestly, too often it's what we see when we look in the mirror, isn't it? And yet, because we will call those things evil, because we will hold to what Scripture teaches about these things in the midst of all this insanity, the, the church itself is, is coming under attack. In, in places like Nigeria and Somalia and North Korea and India, persecution is often fatal. Uh, just this last year, 5,600 Christians were murdered and over 6,000 were imprisoned. And, and those are just the cases that have been documented. Here in the U.S., criminal acts against churches are rising precipitously. Now think about this. Do the math. In 2018, 
there were 50 criminal acts against churches. In 2021, there were 96. In 2022, there were 191. And in just the first three months of this year, there have already been 69. Do the math. <laughs> Do the math, but before you get any more worked up, I want you to remember what Jesus said. Jesus said these things must take place, but the end, <coughs> the final judgment is not yet. You and I, we are living in a day when evil abounds and it's getting worse all the time. But understand this. Step back and consider history for a moment because in history, we see that there have been many times that have been worse than ours. History records many times of incomprehensible depravity, violence, and suffering. The ancient world was often fiercely barbarous and shamelessly deviant. And we haven't gotten any better over time. World War I, World War II, that, that ought to prove that point. This is why in John 16, 33, Jesus said to his disciples, and he says to us, you will have suffering in this world. Okay, understand this. You will have suffering in this world. But he says, be courageous. Be courageous because Jesus says, I have conquered the world. I've conquered the world. And why did Jesus tell us about these hard times that we would experience? Well, look at what he says. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you might have peace. So in the midst of all that we are experiencing in this life, the good things, the wondrous, the awe-inspiring moments, as well as in the midst of the injustice and the suffering and the outright evil, you and I, because we have Christ, we can have peace. We can have peace because we know that Jesus has conquered the world. He is alive. He is sovereign. And he is for us. And we can have hope. We can have hope in the midst of a hopeless world because we know that, that our Jesus is coming back and when he comes, he is going to come to bring justice. The day is going to come when all things that are wrong today will be set right. And let me tell you something, when Jesus sets something right, it stays that way. And he is our good shepherd. He is our good shepherd. He has laid down his life to redeem us. And he has promised us that he will care for us. Understand this. When Jesus told us that we could trust him, when Jesus told us that he would take care of us, when Jesus told us that it was going to be okay, he knew exactly what this world was going to be like. Jesus isn't looking around this morning going, well, I didn't expect this mess. He knew exactly how bad it was going to get. And yet in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 33, listen to what Jesus says. He says, don't worry about your life. Yeah, Jesus knows about the news. 
He's heard all the latest theories. And he says, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. You know, that, that'll lower your blood pressure right there. Yeah, at some point, go out on the back porch and just look at the birds. <laughs> You'll see none of this stuff that's in the news. They seem to have kept it together far better than we have. <laughs> Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth far more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wild flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spend thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Now listen to what Jesus says. Listen to what Jesus says about how it is that we are to live in the midst of a world that's gone stark raving mad. But first, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be provided for you. Hey. <laughs> Guys, remember, Jesus knew. He knew what this world, what this life would be like, and yet he still said, don't spend your life focused on getting the stuff of this world. Yes, work hard. Yes, be wise. Absolutely, trust God to take care of you and keep your focus on doing what it is that God has, has called you to do. Now, understand this. God calls each of us to different tasks in life. And it is up to you and you alone. I can't tell you what it is God's called you to. You have got to draw close to the Lord and hear from him what it is that he is called to pour your life into. And let me tell you, there is nothing better than knowing that what you're doing is, is that thing which God himself has called you to do. Now, there are some things that the Lord calls us to that are just a given. Uh, they are laid out for us in his word, and they don't need a special invitation, okay? If you are a husband, then you are called to love your wife sacrificially, uh, just like Christ loved his church. And if you're a wife, then you're called to respectfully submit to your husband as unto the Lord. If you're a parent, then you're called to love and to nurture and to care for your kids and to lead them to know the Lord. If you're a child, then you're called to obey and respect your parents, even when you don't want to. <clears throat> Whatever else the Lord may call you to, there are a few other things that he has called all of us, all who belong to him to engage in. And again, remember, this is what he called us to. 
with a full understanding of what the world in which we live would be like. This is how God has called us to live our lives in a world that has gone stark raving mad. First, Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. You're familiar with this passage, I know. Jesus tells his disciples, and he tells us, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Uh, the command that Jesus gives here, if we were to phrase it according to the grammar of the original language, it would sound something like this. Go and make disciples. Make disciples and baptize them. Make disciples and teach them. Uh, the thrust of the passage is, guess what? Uh, we are to make disciples. Uh, you and I, anyone and everyone who is a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, we are to invite others to join us as we follow him. Uh, this isn't something that will just happen. And so uh, the first part of this command is that we are to go. We are to engage in it. Uh, this isn't something that will, will happen while we are passive, but it is something that we are to uh, specifically and on purpose engage in. Now, in Jesus's day, a disciple was someone who attached themselves to a teacher and they identified themselves with that teacher and they not only learned from them, but they also lived with them. And so what we're doing is we're telling others, listen, I follow Jesus. My whole life is given over to following him and it's changed me. It's changed me radically. Will you join me? If you do, he will change you as well. What we're inviting them to isn't uh, church attendance or, or moral improvement. It isn't you need to stop doing this and start doing that. <laughs> but what we are inviting them to do is what we have done, and that is to lay down our life, our old life, and to be given a new life in Christ. We who have been reconciled are to share the offer of reconciliation. Uh, and any who receive God's gracious gift of salvation, they are to be baptized and they are to be taught just like we have been baptized and we are being taught. And we are to learn together what it means to live our lives in obedience to Christ. Now, in order to do that, we've got to go out to that world that's gone mad. We're not to run and hide from them, but rather we are to seek them out. We are to chase them down. We are to pursue them. And we've got to do it with one goal in mind, and that is to represent the king. Uh, we've got to live out what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, verses 18 through 20. We've looked at this a lot over the last few years. There Paul says, everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. 
Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Here, Paul clearly points out that all of this is a work of God's grace. Understand this, please. Ambassadorship for the king is not just something for the really good Christians. You know, I don't know any of them, but the ones who really have their act together. No, 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 no. Understand this. This is for all who have been reconciled to God by Christ. This is for all who have received forgiveness. If you're saved, you are an ambassador. God is, God is not counting your sin against you. Now, that's some good news, isn't it? Any day that you don't have to pay for your own sin is a good day. Aren't you glad? Understand, God isn't counting your sin against you in regard to your qualification to be an ambassador of the king either. The message that you are offering is not one of having arrived and, and, and having achieved some sort of spiritual perfection, but rather the message that we have received and that we offer to others is that of grace and of forgiveness. Understand, our reconciliation to God is not God bending the rules. It isn't God just looking the other way or winking at our sin. Our reconciliation, Paul says, was accomplished through Christ. Meaning this, the only reason that my sin is not counted against me is because it was counted against Jesus. 1 Peter 3.18 helps us to understand what this is all about. It reminds us Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. Understand this. Christ did not suffer for any sin of his own because he had none. The sin that Christ suffered for was mine. It was yours. And he did this, as Peter says, so that he might bring you to God that he might reconcile you back into a relationship with God. Jesus died in your place and in mine. He paid the price for your sin and for mine. And having reconciled us to God, now he gives us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, you and I, we are all ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal to this world gone stark raving mad through us. And so we plead with those who are in the world and we pursue those who are in the world and we seek to connect with those who are in the world on Christ's behalf, that we might offer them that which was given to us, the free gift of reconciliation with God. And as long as we're drawing breath upon this earth, we're on the clock, we're on the job. This is our task. This is what we have been called to. <clears throat> We who are in Christ, 
We no longer live for self. We no longer represent self, but now we represent Jesus. We are ambassadors of the king. Two last thoughts on what scripture says about living in a world God-man. First, Jeremiah 29, 7. There the Lord tells his people Israel who are being led captive to Babylon that they are to pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. So, too, it seems reasonable that you and I, we should seek the good of this temporary home. This is not our home, right? You get this? You understand that? Our citizenship is not here, but it is in heaven. And yet, like Israel, while we wait, while we live out our lives here upon this earth, we are to seek to be used by God in order to bring some good to this place while we wait to go home. We are to seek the good of our community. That's going to mean that we're going to need to engage with our community. We're going to need to serve them. We are going to need to love people. We are to do our best to make this a decent place to wait for heaven. A good portion of that is us just learning what it means to be kind and loving to people who are lost. I think we fail at that. I think we often fail at that terribly. We need to have the love and compassion of the Savior for those who don't yet know him. Now at times, often these days, it will also mean standing up against evil. It will mean involving ourselves in the community or in the government in order to lead, in order to to let our voices be heard. And, and, you know, we should probably make sure that what we say is worth hearing, okay? <laughs> if our voice is going to be heard, let's make sure it's worth hearing. There are going to be times that we will need to step in in order to protect the weak and the innocent, those who cannot protect themselves. And remember what we read in Proverbs 24, 11, there we are told that we are to rescue those being taken off to death to save those who are stumbling towards slaughter. We are to seek to restrain evil. We can't expect this world to be like heaven. It's not going to be. We can't expect our government But yet we have to stand. We have to stand, not just for ourselves, okay? Not just for ourselves. We've got to stand for others. And that's going to change our tone, and that's going to change how it is that it comes off. And when this isn't just about me and my high morality, but rather this is about what is truly good, for the world in which we live. We have got to learn to speak truth and to do it clearly and powerfully and kindly. As Alexander Solzhenitsyn put it, we need to learn how to live not by lies. 
Don't become some sort of self-righteous brawler always looking for a fight. Instead, seek to be more and more like Jesus, going around setting captives free. Above all else, in the midst of a world that has gone stark raving mad, remember what you're here for. Remember what you're here for, you and I. We are ambassadors of the King. Let's pray. God, I, I ask that you'd help us. God, we find it hard. Uh, we find it uh, scary to engage this world, intimidating to involve ourselves, costly. Lord, we, we tend to be fearful. But we ask, we ask, Lord, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on us, that you would give us a spirit-tempered boldness, that you would fill us to overflowing with your love for this world, God, that our hearts would break over their lostness far more than our tempers would flare over the injustice. God, I pray that you would shape us, that you would make us more and more like Jesus and that you would focus our minds on representing you here. God, that, that, that our lives would not be consumed with, with just trying to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves, but we would be people who are focused on the mission that has been assigned to us, that we would be engaging and pursuing and loving and offering the gift of forgiveness, of reconciliation to a world that just like us, that is their only hope. Work in us, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.